I'm Donna Tatro, host of Kids Under Construction. I've been a parenting journalist covering families and parenting for over a decade. I'm a mom to two boys, 11 and 12 years old. I'm right here with you trying to figure this out. I've called in the experts and asked them the questions we all need answered. Remember, kids are under construction. It's always a challenge, but we'll get through this together. Today, we are talking about miscarriage and it being front and center in the headlines. Chrissy Teigen shared her miscarriage with the world, highlighting the sadness and despair we don't always talk about. My guest today is Dr. Barbara Toppin, a board-certified OBGYN physician and surgeon. She has had remarkable success using new techniques for preventing miscarriage. It's something anyone thinking about having babies should know. In practice for 30 years, Dr. Toppin has become known nationally for her cutting edge ideas about miscarriage, why it happens, and what a woman can do about bringing a fetus to full term. In her book, One in Four, The Shifting Balance in Pregnancy Loss, Dr. Toppin writes about new ways to deal with even multiple losses. Thank you, doctor, for being here on Kids Under Construction. Thank you for having me. So, Dr. Toppin, what do you think about, you know, Chrissy Teigen coming out and sharing her her sadness and despair? Do you think it's too much sharing or is it good that she's highlighting this? I absolutely think we need to talk about it more because this is a very, very common problem. Uh, About 25,000 stillborns occur in this country annually and about 5 million miscarriages annually. And it tends to be uh, swept under the carpet somewhat by physicians and patients and their families because they don't want to talk about it. And the less patients talk about it, the less we talk about it, the more it happens, it seems, or at least nothing's being done about it. So we see patients who may have one, two, three, or more miscarriages Uh, without having any sort of uh, interventions by their physicians simply because no one really talks about it. No one, it's sort of like, well, just get pregnant again and you'll have a a, a better baby next time. Why do you think that mentality is out there? What, what What is it? It's hard to deal with as a patient. It's hard to deal with as a physician. It's sad. I mean, we are mostly... Uh, obstetricians dealing with these patients. And what happens is that those patients that we speak to on on a daily basis, when they have a miscarriage, we may have a long-term relationship with them and they're sad. So it makes us sad and it makes us uncomfortable. OB is a very happy field. We don't have to deal with death a lot. So I think there's this conflict of emotions and It's much easier to say, well, next time it will be better, trying to make the patients feel better, but not actually doing anything for them. What's interesting is when Chrissy Teigen came out with this um, news, it brought me back to my miscarriages. And I had four miscarriages before I was able to have my two sons. And doctors found a blood clotting disorder with me. And um, it was quite a journey. And so when I heard about your background and, and everything that you're working on, I, I was just intrigued by your work. Can you talk a little bit about this prevention aspect to miscarriages? Well, 
My feeling is, um, as I've explained in my book, that our the way we have been taught about uh, to to treat patients who've had a miscarriage is to basically allow them to have three miscarriages or more before we do anything with them. That's a very old-fashioned way of looking at things because women used to, in their in, in the 50s and 60s, have babies when they were 18, 19, 20. Um, they got to 25, it was pushing it a little. And 26, 27, we started to see miscarriages. So um, back in those times, women had a longer window of opportunity in which to have babies. Nowadays, they they are having babies in their late 20s, 30s, 40s. I mean, my average patient is probably 40. My personal patient list is really in their, they're in their 40s. So they don't have a large window of opportunity in which to have babies. So that's old fashioned. So we need to update that. I think it's almost criminal to allow patients to have multiple miscarriages over and over and over without doing anything because there's a cost to the patient and her family, the mental and emotional costs. There's the cost of, of basically taking caring for the patient and uh, the surgical costs if they have to have any sort of procedure uh, uh, after they've had a miscarriage. And then just the overall cost to your relationship with your patient, because I can guarantee you patients who have had two, three miscarriages change doctors. They're not stupid. They end up changing doctors for a very good reason because they're not getting results. And and it was Einstein who says the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting right. a different outcome. So why not do something different? Talk a little bit about um, your feelings on potential moms coming to you who who are older. You know, is it is it just kind of the the search for the career and to live life and and then to have the children? But what is your recommendation as a doctor? Should we be waiting this long? I feel that if we have the appropriate preventive testing done, that you can wait as long as you're, you're fertile. Um, and beyond that, well, that's a different situation. That's an infertility issue. But in general, I feel that patients, as long as we have a way of looking into, and believe me, if I had my, my, my wish, I would screen everyone before they get pregnant. I do that, in fact, with anyone who comes to me for procreational uh, testing. Uh, whether they're 25, I ha currently have an 18-year-old woman who's had six miscarriages. I'm not here to judge the age. So I'm not judging an 18-year-old who simply wants to have a baby. And I don't judge a 45-year-old who simply wants to have a baby. I, I will do the best that I can to help them, but always it's with an eye toward preventing miscarriage because my job as I see it is not to just get someone pregnant, but to keep them pregnant, keep them healthy during the pregnancy, healthy baby, healthy mom. And beyond that, 
the things that we find, um, the whether they're blood clotting disorders or autoimmune disorders, that we find in women who have had miscarriages. Well, I'm here to say those are the things that put women at risk of having future cardiovascular problems. And that doesn't, meaning heart attacks, strokes, pulmonary emboli later in life, in, in life. That doesn't only apply to them because they actually get these genes from someone, their parents. They give these genes to their children and so on. So by preventing a miscarriage, you can affect generations of people. I mean, how great is that? And I, I do feel that it's most appropriate to do that for anyone who walks in the office saying, I want to have a baby. It's offered, when I see a patient that way, I offer them procreational testing, genetic testing. It's not cost prohibitive anymore. It's simply a good idea. So then, so then a woman who wants to have a child should be asking their doctor, can we talk about the testing beforehand? And can you talk a little bit about what those tests are for and what they might look like? In general, yes, they should be talking to their doctor. Um, if they're able to come in prior to, I have a lot of newlyweds who say, I plan on having a baby in X number of months or X number of years. What should I do? So we talk about general subjects that I've always talked about. And then there, there are some additional tests. The first thing we do is take a history on the patient. Many times the history, when we take that history, we are actually seeing what could potentially happen to that patient right before our eyes. So if someone comes in and says, my dad had a heart attack at 45, my grandfather had a heart attack at 45, oh, and my great-grandfather had a heart attack at 45, they have a strong family history of heart disease, you already know which direction to go into. But if you don't find anything in the history, then testing in general, for things like, um, I, I tend to test for what's called torch viruses, which is, I unless you're, you have a cat, we don't normally do the toxoplasmosis, but we look at the rubella, the rubiola, so tr measles, German measles, and uh, varicella, which is chickenpox, as well as cytomegalic virus and parvovirus, because many people have been exposed to those. Some are immune, and the first three I mentioned, there are vaccines to prevent from developing those during the pregnancy because they can cause a devastating loss. For cytomegalic virus and parvovirus, there are no known vaccines. But simply knowing whether you've been exposed and are therefore immune prior to pregnancy is going to help. I deal, a large number of my patients are healthcare professionals. And so many of them have already been exposed. Teachers have been exposed to these things. So knowing that. The next thing uh, would be testing for thyroid disease, a big, big, big thing that should be done on everyone. A lot of patients who have underlying thyroid disease or a subclinical thyroid disease may have 
recurrent pregnancy loss. So doing a test for thyroid disease, if none has been done. And then I do um, what is called an expanded carrier testing panel. And the ex- that that test, um, there are a number of different companies, I'm not going to mention all of them, but that particular test gives us about 40 results. We can go up to, I believe, 750 results of different genetic things, uh, problems that people may carry. But we look at things like factor V Leiden, MTHFR, the prothrombin gene, beta-2 glycohemoglobin, and things like that, amongst other things that we should be discussing with our patients, like gene testing for cystic fibrosis, spinal muscular atrophy, for uh, taste sacs and fragile X. So those are just some of the things that we get in that panel. When we identify a patient who tests positive, say, for factor V Leiden. Which is we, exactly what I tested for. That was surprise me. <laughs> and even if the patient is heterozygous, meaning that they only have one gene, I still treat them. One of my very, very favorite success stories is a physician who came to me 15 years ago and said, look, all the women in my family have miscarriages. I'm newlywed. I don't want to have a miscarriage. I'm like, okay, great, great. I'll test you. And we found factor V Leiden. And we treated her. And she had two lovely babies without a problem. Wow. And The other part of that story I will have to say is if we fast forward to last year when she came in for her annual at age 47, and this is a woman who is very thin, fit, healthy lifestyle, perfect, perfect exercise, does everything right, doesn't smoke. The only risk factor was factor V Leiden, for which I told her, continue on your aspirin, don't take birth control pills, don't do hormonal replacement. When she came in last year, she told me she had had some pressure in her chest and had remembered that we said, we talked about having a stress echo at 50. She went and had that test and she had complete obstruction of of, uh, major coronary, two major coronary arteries, but in particular, the left anterior descending branch of the coronary artery, which is the what we call widow maker and she had stents placed and she's fine she never suffered a heart attack so it's a continuum it's not just a miscarriage although that is my heart and my soul i never thought it would take me to women's heart disease and issues like that but your genes don't go away after you have a baby you know, so, it's so it's so interesting that you're saying this because my doctor said factor five Leiden only affects you during pregnancy. So to hear this from you is whoa, 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 because uh, I think people need to know this. That's very so, interesting. To be honest, I've tested her for advanced lipid screening and she also has lipoprotein little a. Um, which is another problem that causes clotting, and it also causes problems with um, heart disease. So there are a lot of extra factors that she may have. It doesn't cause the plaque, but you can imagine if you have a plaque and you have a clotting disorder, then 
you're going to be at risk of having a clot behind the, if you have a buildup or some sort of spasm in your heart. So of course that puts the patient at risk. And what's beautiful about this is that you can look at someone, I've had patients who've come in who are older in their 50s and 60s, and I look at their their history and say, I see that you've been pregnant three times, four times, five times, whatever, and you haven't had a baby. Was that by choice? And they say, no, I could never hold one. And these patients may have already had heart problems or strokes or pulmonary emboli. So you can look backwards and forward at someone's history and kind of figure things out. So no, factor five, that's absolutely untrue, is not going to just affect you while you're pregnant. It can affect you if you're taking... uh, So it's a proper patient in the proper circumstance. So if... If you have a patient, you don't, you don't, you're not ill. This is not a disease. This is just you. This is the way you're, you're made. So if you have factor five Leiden, and let's say, God forbid, you, you stub your toe and you have to have surgery on your toe. And the doctor looks at you and says, um, oh, you're thin, you're fit. You'll be fine. And yeah, that factor, it's a short surgery. And they do the surgery and they do not give you any prophylactic treatment, a simple injection of Lovenox or heparin or whatever, the newer drugs, the oral drugs. It may put you at risk of having a blood clot in your lung. Or That's very worse. interesting. Wow. I want to ask you what you're doing, all these tests beforehand, is this a trend in the field or is this unique to few doctors? I would say it's unique to few doctors. I mean, I wrote my first book and I'm in the midst of writing a second book out of frustration because yes, it's really nice to have people who love you and adore you as their patients. And, but to hear the stories that patients come in with, I mean, these really horrific stories that patients come in with, uh, it, it's, it's really heartfelt. So I know that I have a, another patient who had, I, I, I mean, I kid you not, they're all available for interviews, uh, 12 miscarriages, including Whoa. a term 37 week demise. And her doctors basically were like, oh, you don't need treatment. You don't need treatment. You don't need treatment. She did deliver with us at term, but I had to admit her to the hospital for PTSD at 37 weeks. So it's unique to us, which is why we get the worst of the worst. I mean, we have, I, last year I had a patient who had a previous stroke with six previous miscarriages. So it's, and it's, if they happen to get out of their first trimester, we're not even talking about all of the other problems that we see, like intrauterine growth restriction, abruption of the placenta, um, the, all the pro- hypertension, all of these things go together. So it's a continuum. You are not just one thing. Your body. So we, I call one one of my chapters the disconnection of medicine. 
Um, and I, I'm not an earth mother, I, but I do believe we have to be more holistic. We need to look at that person in toto and not just look at, have tunnel vision about her pregnancy and say, okay, you're no longer pregnant. You're fine. Don't worry about you anymore. Yeah, this is very enlightening. Talk a little bit about it when um, a woman comes into your office the first thing. What what do you recommend to women? Let's just start from the beginning. You've talked about these tests, but uh, you, you're also talking about this holistic piece of it. Um, you know, what's a conversation like with a woman that comes into your office? Again, we start with the history, um, physical as as needed if they haven't been seen before. Once we've done the patient's history, we talk about an offering. I don't demand that patients have genetic tests because I do know there, there are some people who simply don't want to know and they do not feel it's a problem. Um, and that's okay. They don't have to have testing. But for the patients who do, they actually listen to why I want to have testing. They're saying, okay, I understand that some of these things, if we figure them out beforehand, like factor five or prothrombin gene, then it may actually prevent me from having a miscarriage. But one of the big problems in medicine is that you can't prove prevention. So what, what that means is doctors in general, if, if you're sick, I'm going to treat you. So we have this wait and see attitude. She looks fine. Let's just see if she has a, a normal pregnancy and not worry about that history, that horrible family history of all, all of these people with heart disease and so on and so forth, or okay. her personal history of migraine with aura, or whatever else we may come up with. That wait and see attitude is, is old fashioned. We really need to be more proactive. But doctors have an issue with prevention in general because it's we don't know what we're treating. Well, I'm proposing there is a way to know. It feels funny. And I built my career on this. I have my license on the line. And I really have a lot of patients that I've treated this way. But our incidence of miscarriage has decreased amongst patients who've had previous miscarriages. They've come into our practice. We, I mean, we get, by the time they see me, if they've had lots of miscarriages, I get one chance. They're like, okay, <laughs> right. I've done one chance. If you don't fix this, I'm out. And um, we also have to have a way of sharing information doctor to doctor because patients frequently will come in and say, I've had every test. And there's your every test and my every test. My every test is a little different from your every test and another doctor's every test. So we have to have a consensus, come to a consensus on what testing should be. And we also have to understand that miscarriage is a problem. It's not just, it's not a non-event. It's not an, it's not natural. I, I admit there are some chromosomal problems that we, that are incompatible with life. So if you have trisomy, God forbid, if you were to have trisomy of the third chromosome, you would miscarry. And most patients can wrap their heads around that. But 
I am here to say that when I have a patient who has had lots of miscarriages and comes in, we treat her and they say, well, why didn't the other doctors do that? I have nothing to say. I never want anyone to say that of me. Why didn't you do that? I always want to be proactive. Well, that, and that's what it is. You're being proactive. And if I would have walked into your office, I would have been like, thank you. Because it's so frustrating. You have all this shame and guilt. You don't know what's wrong with you. You, you know, it's like, well, let's just try again. The, this, this theme of it's natural. Miscarriage is natural. It's natural. It, 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 that is, is something that is out there and, um, that people, think, well, okay, it's fine. I had one. It's okay. I can, you know, so this is really, really interesting. Um, I want to ask you about you. Do you have children and what brought you into this field? Um, because you're doing a lot of work for a lot of families, building these families. I like to say I have thousands of children, but no, <laughs> I don't have any of my own. I didn't get married until I was 40. And uh, we tried a little bit. And I, you know, I was never, I think we were busy starting the practice. And I just, I was frustrated by the response I got from the doctors. Um, One of the local doctors is a friend of mine from New York. We knew each other when I was a resident. And he said, I wish you had just come to me. And I hadn't gone to him because I knew him and he said, you should have just come to me. I would have totally helped you with this. But um, I think if I had um, known what I know now, if I had taken an aspirin, even just an aspirin, I might have been able to be successful. Um, What brought me to this is a a patient when I was in residency who was very special um, because she, it really hurt her and it hurt my heart too. I, at the time I was at Morristown Hospital in New Jersey, rotating out there from my uh, residency. And we had to do history and physicals on the patients that were going to have surgery the next day. And uh, this patient was going to have her tubes tied. And I naively looked at her history and I saw that she had had, I, I think it was six miscarriages. And I said, um, I, it was notated the way we actually say G6P0060, which to me means that she's either had six miscarriages or six abortions. Okay. And so I said to the patient, I, I'm sorry to ask you this, but um, did you have six miscarriages or abortions? And she said, oh, I, I had six miscarriages. I said, oh, I'm so sorry why are you having your tubes tied? Because I believe she was only in her thirties. And she said, I don't have the heart. I cannot go on. Um, And that affected me profoundly because I know truly today I would be able to help her. I am absolutely hundred percent sure that I would have helped her, but I didn't know. And I just, I was confused. I'm like, well, if you want to have a baby, you're doing the opposite of what you should. But she really was so brokenhearted over this. And, you know, we're very honest with our patients. There are some patients we can't help and and, um, because they have other problems. Um, 
there are some things on the horizon like IVIG, which you can't find anywhere in the Midwest. I think there's only one place maybe in New York. It's um, an infusion with uh, gamma globulin of sort. Um, but that's only for a very specific type of recurrent loss that's not responding to aspirin and or heparin. So um, that was what brought me to to this because it was always a question in the back of my mind. And one of the very first patients I had in Minnesota who I treated with aspirin and I just was like, we were always taught not to use aspirin during pregnancy. And um, she, she got pregnant after maybe five times. And, and she, I remember speaking with the perinatologist at 20 weeks and he said, I said, should I stop her aspirin now? And he said, no, you'll kick yourself. <laughs> Something happened to that baby. I'm like, okay, I won't. So, I mean, I've had help along the way. This is not my invention. It's just that I like to, to kind of buff it up and make it my own. I still don't under, some doctors are trying. They're waiting okay. now until patients have two miscarriages. I still find that unacceptable. Truly, it's okay. ridiculous. Patients do not want to have. I mean, what are you waiting for? Well, you don't. Well, but what's what you're doing? You don't even have to have one miscarriage. Exactly. I mean, that one doctor. I said, you should be the poster child for this. You really should be the poster child for this because you had nothing. I mean, you had two kids and now she knows that she, she said, well, when do you think my kids should, should be tested? And we talked about, you know, maybe late teens or early twenties. If you have a girl, um, if, at some point they want to go on birth control pills. I've had some patients who, you know, we've been here long enough who I delivered their kids years ago. We treated them for this. They remembered what I said. Wow. Now their teenage daughters are coming in. We had two girls come in, sisters. The mom is my patient. The sisters became one of um, my colleagues' patients here. And, um, she said, oh, yeah, the mom couldn't remember what she had, but she knew that she had to be tested. They were tested. And instead of birth control pills, they were they had IUDs to control their cycles. So there's a lot of alternatives. You don't have to have that. And when you look at the fact that knowing this can actually affect your what you find out may affect your future health. Um, and I always like to say, you know, it doesn't, if someone is overweight and they have a bad lifestyle, they're smoking or they're doing whatever they are, doctors always kind of shame them in that direction. And they will neglect the other patients who are thin and fit because they look normal. But we all have heard of people who are runners and right. absolutely fit who run along and keel over and have a heart attack. Right. So. Right. Right. Well, you know what? I mean, this to me is such an education and I am so grateful for you sharing your expertise with us all. I mean, wow. I, I could have had a different scenario myself. I mean, I'm grateful for the two boys that I have, but what we went through as a couple was, was difficult. And, and I feel for all the people out there who have suffered as well, but this is a bright light in the world that you, um, 
have just educated us all to please tell us where people can find you. We already talked about your first book. Tell us about your second book that's coming out. Uh, the second book, uh, the name is Unacceptable Loss, <laughs> quite appropriately. Great. Yes. Uh, reshaping the approach to miscarriage, stillbirth, and beyond, because I intend to, or I am already addressing the issues of the future cardiovascular disease. And I have a special short chapter on COVID because my very smart patients who do listen to me about this have been calling me and say, look, I have a clotting disorder and I see a lot of people having blood clots or dying from blood clots as a result of, of right. COVID. So that yeah. chapter is called The Great Unmasking because COVID is unmasking the things that we do not know about ourselves. And so I think it's very important that people start thinking about these under it's we're not going to change it it's not a disease it's just your dna but if you it, it gives you a fighting chance that's all we're asking i mean i can't tell i can't make someone not smoke and if they have an underlying disorder and they smoke they're very well aware of it if they're my patient. And, um, you know, that's a choice that they're making. But for the people who who want to know and want to do things that might prevent them from having a problem, yes, they definitely can benefit from that. And we have, um, in our clinic, we're opening a prevention of stillbirth and miscarriage um, clinic um, specifically for patients who've had these problems and we're opening it up to people from wherever um, we haven't quite gotten that together i can't i have a lot of patients who i've kind of helped elsewhere i have only one state license i have my minnesota state license and even with telehealth it makes it difficult because i cannot prescribe for those patients but um our, this clinic, uh, we have actually a hotel next to our new office, and oh wow, um, uh, we're uh, allowing patients if they wish to come in um, from out of state or wherever they can stay at the hotel, have consultation, have their labs, and probably have a two day visit um, with uh, an idea toward um, creating a plan for them as they go forth to bring back to their doctors. The biggest issue is really finding a doctor that works well for you. Um, I did have a success with um, a colleague from Star Legacy. I'm on the board of directors, and they are an advocacy group for uh, women who have had stillbirths in particular and miscarriages in addition. And they do a lot of pregnancy research projects. Uh, they, of course, help with bereavement. And one of these colleagues um, uh, basically had referred a patient to me who um, lived on the East Coast, really wanted me to treat her. I gave her advice. Um, it was a group effort. She finally found a doctor who was willing to treat with heparin, um, with Lovenox, which was like pulling teeth. And she had her baby girl and she sent me the the little photo so she too is going into the book um we're just trying to 
interview her. Um, and that's what we'd like to do, open it up for patients outside of our immediate area. Um, I won't be able to prescribe unless it's in Minnesota, but certainly we want to help those patients because I think if the doctors begin to see that the patients are seeking help outside of their immediate area and seeing what what the success rates are, that they will eventually change. That is my intention to change medicine and make miscarriage a thing of the past. No Hopefully. longer. I mean, as no much longer. as I can. Yeah. No, I, this just, um, I mean, this was such an awesome interview. I'd love talking to you you. and learning from you. Please tell us where people can find you and where your clinic is. Uh, my clinic is in, uh, Woodbury, Minnesota, or they can visit our website at adefrisandtoppin.com. That's A-D-E-F as in Frank, R-I-S. A-N-D-T-O-P-P-I-N.com. And so we do have um, nurses. We have five triage nurses that help with that. And if patients are intending on um, uh, coming in or having consultation, it's great. We're, we look forward to helping them as much as we can. Um, and through the patients, we are actually able to then identify like-minded physicians in other states. And that's what we'd like to do is set up a network of doctors who basically think in the same way. And it's slowly coming, <laughs> slowly. Well, I, I mean, the plan is is amazing. And I would love to check in with you in a couple of years to see how things are going. But thank you again so much for your time and for all the work you're doing for moms and kids and dads and families. <laughs> Um, just making happy, happy families. Thank you so much, Dr. Toppin. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Kids Under Construction. Parents, we've got this. We're all in this together. Please download, subscribe, and listen to Kids Under Construction. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Donna Tatro. See you next time. The Kids Under Construction podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional, medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professional.